He's been a United States Marine Reservist since 2007 and a cop since 2008. He was wounded in battle by an enemy grenade, causing traumatic brain injury and complete hearing loss on his right side. When he returned home, he didn't seek help. Instead, dealt with it himself and eventually became suicidal. Now, he dedicates his life to helping first responders, law enforcement officers, and military veterans with mental resilience and suicide prevention. He's here to talk about that, his podcast, and more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Calling us from New Jersey, we have, well, we'll say his name, Andrew. We're not going to use his last name. He is an active-duty law enforcement officer in the state of New Jersey. Actually, I should use the last name because I've wanted to use all kinds of jokes about your last name, Andrew, but I'm not going to do it. It's Andrew Einstein, and uh, thank you for your service, and thanks for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been a police officer since, what, 2008? 2008, yes. And you've been a U.S. Marine Corps reservist since when? I enlisted in 2006, right after high school, but I uh, went to a semester of college first, and uh, went to boot camp in January 2007. Gotcha. So what we're going to talk about is a little bit about your police career, but also part of your career in law enforcement was interrupted. You got called up to active duty. In 2009, uh, we, my reserve unit got called up to go to Iraq for the first time, uh, for at least my first deployment, I should say. How many deployments did you do over there? I did two. I did one to Iraq in 2009. Then I came back, I changed jobs, and then went back uh, overseas to Afghanistan in 2011. Wow. And there's really not a, a, a polite way of saying this. You saw action, you saw combat while you were there. It wasn't like you were shuffling papers. No. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting. In 2009, you know, I enlisted in the Marine Corps as a firefighter, believe it or not. Um, I, I didn't necessarily want not want to fight, um, but my, my goal outside of high school was to become a career firefighter. And uh, I wanted to use the Marine Corps to uh, progress in my career. And I, I didn't think I could become a Marine. So there was, you know, it was kind of twofold. And so right before we went to Iraq, because I was a police officer, they said, hey, um, you know tactics. Uh, so you're going to go with our engineer element, and you're going to go drive around and look for roadside bombs. So, you know, we went at the end of the war. We didn't see any fighting or anything like that. 
Um, but I got to see uh, Iraq and I really appreciated it. But when I got home, I realized that I kind of had a taste for, uh, I use the word war lightly. Um, I, I wanted to know what war was really like, and I, I needed to know what combat was like. So I got a chance to change jobs uh, into uh, civil affairs, which was a job that would get me uh, attached to uh, an infantry unit, and it would allow me to experience war. And uh, when I went to Afghanistan, uh, I'll say that I, I got to experience that quite quickly. And I, I'm going to say this. In police work, I encountered a lot of violence. I've never been in the military. I grew up in a military family. So I don't have a point of reference, Andrew, of what it was like. And I'm sure for you, it was a real wake-up call. Uh, a wake-up call is putting it lightly. I remember our first mission, we, you know, we, we walk in, we had, uh, it was a, a two or three day mission and we got in and right after sunrise, we were in a compound and for the first time I heard gunfire. Uh, and, uh, you, they say you never forget the first time you've been shot at. And, uh, I can say, I know how I reacted the first time I was ever shot at and I'm not Embarrassed to say that I was not the uh, I was not stoic in my reaction. Um, I, I flipped out. I uh, I kind of lost my cool, and everyone laughed because they had the unit I was with had been there a few weeks prior to me getting there because I was attached to them, and it was it was a real reality check. Um, there was another element in the group that was on that mission, and their corpsman had been shot a few times. And we had to go evac him. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, this is an hour into my first mission. Uh, I have seven months of this. And I said, holy this is my daily life for seven months. What did I get myself into? I don't know if I can do this. When you said you didn't act stoically, you know, we have been conditioned to think that people respond the way they do in movies. They have quick one-liners they shrug it off they always maintain their cool and that's the last thing i've seen and i don't watch many of these body cam videos other videos of combat and the sounds that come out of people's mouths the way they react everything that they do is totally contradicts that and many folks i i can't see my reactions to what i did i can tell you that when i was being shot at I did not react the way that uh, Bruce Willis did in Die Hard. I didn't. Um, and I'm okay with that. And someone who, who has a problem with that, they obviously haven't been in those situations. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like, I, you know, at first I, I was embarrassed about it. You know, you want to be, especially being a Marine, right? You're, you're conditioned from day one of boot camp that you're better than everybody else, right? The Marine Corps is the, uh, the, top of the top the best of the best and uh, you know i remember how i reacted and and you know if i can say candidly i mean i remember i had a cigarette in my hand uh i, I dropped my cigarette uh i myself and i remember um our canine handler chris diaz um who unfortunately was later uh killed in action he was laughing at me and he was the one who made fun of me and i i said dude you've been here like two weeks you're used to this and 
and the the most ironic part was they weren't they were shooting at like the marines right but the marines they were technically shooting at were outside of that compound we were for all intents and purposes we were safe inside these walls and it was it, that was the reality check i said you know then we had to go outside to evac that corpsman i said but we're safe in here and they said you know buck up get your gun let's go and that was that reality check of this is my life for seven months and you know it was interesting to see that the transformation of that first reaction to you know i, I don't want to say you know i don't want to sound any type of way and I, I i still don't think you know i'm mr calm cool and collected under fire by any means but the transition over the next seven months taking fire was uh, immense you know I, I and even at work you know i've been in some situations where i i can now react completely different you know i when i had transferred to the pd i'm at now after being in the suburbs for quite some time i was still in my training period and we found ourselves in a uh, again for all intents and purposes an active shooter situation and i and just just everything took over and i i ran in and I think had it not been for the time I spent in Afghanistan, you know, that might have been the first time. We got to take a break. We're talking with Andrew Einstein. Uh, we got so much to talk about, more about his military service, how it impacted him in police work. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Get rid of business cards forever. Instantly transfer all of your contact information, including all important websites, social media links, links to podcasts, video sites, etc. Quickly, easily, and inexpensively. Get more details online at letpops.com. All of your important information transferred just by clicking your phones together. Get more details online at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. The show was brought to you in part by the Change the Culture podcast, a podcast hosted by a female cop, personal development, mindset reset, and perspective changing content are all featured in the Change the Culture podcast. During a conversation with Andrew Einstein, he is a police detective in New Jersey. He is also a United States Marine Corps veteran. And before we're in the break, Andrew, you're talking about being in combat in Afghanistan and how it affected you as a law enforcement officer. And we had to go to break. You talked about being on scene of an active shooter and you were a different guy. You were a different law enforcement officer than prior to seeing combat, correct? Yeah. You know, it's that, that I remember being on scene and hearing the gunshots. And I, I believe because of my my time in Afghanistan, you know, hearing the gunshots, I just reacted and I was able to run towards the gunfire and everything that happened after that allowed me to act in a manner that allowed for the resolve to happen the way it did. And, you know, I'm proud of how I acted. Um, and I think it set up again because of the time I was still in that, that field training period. I had just transferred from the suburbs and I was able to even being in the field training period able to act without you know you, we all know when you're in field training you kind of have to the the training officer usually has the the, the trainee on the curtails 
um, I just acted. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that was all because of my time in Afghanistan. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And unfortunately, during your time in Afghanistan, you were also injured severely. Yes. I was. Uh, I received a traumatic brain injury from a grenade blast uh, while on a mission in, on August 5th, 2011. And it, it, it changed my life. You know, at the time, it, it caused a lot of problems, but I look back, you know, I just had the 10-year anniversary of it, and I look back and I'm, I'm grateful for it now believe it or not, because it made me who I am today. It doesn't sound strange to me because, you know, Andrew, for a long time, I tried to deny the horrible things I went through. But my scars, the physical, the the surgical scars, the mental scars, the emotional scars are all part of who I am today. And they've shown that's the end result of surviving horrific incidents. And it's something to be... It sounds corny to say. It's something to be celebrated. I, I am who I am because of what I went through. Absolutely. And, you know, after I got hurt, um, I remember being in the hospital, and one of the, the hardest things, you know, the internal struggle, so to speak, was talking with the doctors, them only knowing or believing that I was this active-duty Marine, not knowing that I was actually a police officer. Right. And I was afraid of saying certain things and really kind of expressing the troubles I was going through because I didn't want certain things going on paper because I knew at the end of this seven months, I was going back home and I was returning to my career that I absolutely loved. And I I didn't want to lose that career. I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I had been a cop since I was I went, uh, I got my badge, I was 19 in the academy. And I was so worried about losing my badge and gun that I didn't even worry. I put that on top of the problems that manifested from the injury. So there weren't just and, physical, and, there was other stuff along with the physical. And they go hand in hand. Oh, absolutely. The, you know, uh, aside, you know, with the brain injury, I lost all the hearing on my right side. Um, I had memory issues. There was, you know, I, I later I finally accepted the fact that I had uh, post-traumatic stress. Um, I wasn't sleeping. And, you know, when I returned home, because I was so afraid to seek help or even accept these issues, because I, I felt, you know, at the time, I, I felt there's no way you can get help for any of these things and, and stay a cop, right? And so I, I did things on my own. And I hit the bottle. I, I self-medicated. Um, and I never, I never let it um, affect my job. At the time, I was working as a part-time police officer. And uh, my goal was trying to become full-time. And I, when, I, when I was working, I was great. I was back in that, that, um, comfort you know, zone. that area. That I know how to zone, behave. Right? I know what um, to do. I know how to react to these things. Absolutely. I have the, I have that purpose and that responsibility that I had overseas. And, you know, I, I was doing the job that I absolutely loved, but outside of those few shifts, I worked a week. I was home in my own thoughts. My life was spiraling out of control and every, you know, my days just got darker and darker. And I, I believed inside that I was just becoming a burden to my family, my friends and society. And, you know, it got to the point where I said, I'm not getting better. I'm getting worse. 
and I made the decision to uh, kill myself. Right. And and that's what happens. And I, I don't say right in a d- dismissive way or saying it's okay. I'm saying it's understandable. There's a, there's a triad with, and by the way, law enforcement suicides and military veteran suicides have been an issue forever, as long as I can remember. And here's what winds up happening with the law enforcement world. It's a triad, I call it. One is usually post-traumatic stress to some degree or another, self-medicating with alcohol, isolating, having problems in your personal relationships, and for quite a few people, having financial problems and also problems with their employment. And when those things kind of collide, quite often people wind up dying by suicide. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, I remember I, I picked a specific date. There was a, a few weeks prior when I had made the decision to end my life. I, you know, I, I was very pragmatic about it. Um, I had set up, uh, I was going to get a dog and this dog was going to become a service dog for me. I didn't know quite what the dog was going to do for me, but I was worried that if I committed suicide, you know, right then and there, my family would continue to bring this dog home as some type of memorial to me. And I, I, when I was gone, I wanted to be gone off the face of this earth and nothing but a memory. Conversely, if I had waited till after I brought the dog home, I didn't want the burden to be on top, you know, my family to have the burden on top of dealing with my death to also now dealing with this dog. So I picked the night before I was supposed to pick up the dog. So that way, when they came to pick me up to, to take me to get the dog, they would find me, I would be gone, and they'd be dealing with my death. And in my head, I figured the, the breeder would just, the dog would go to a loving family. And so May 5th, 2012, I had put a bottle of pills on my nightstand. And the idea was to go out with my friends as I had done and hid everything. You know, no one knew I had any issues. And I figured with the alcohol I would drink that night, when I got home, I would take the bottle of pills, I would go to sleep for one last time, and they would find me sleeping. We're going to take a short break. We are talking with Andrew Einstein. He is a active duty law enforcement officer, United States Marine Corps veteran. We're talking about his TBI, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, uh, issues he developed during combat, how it affected him, and we're going to go into his recovery and what he does today. This is Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Current conversation with Andrew Einstein on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. He is an active duty law enforcement officer, a detective in state of New Jersey. He's also a United States Marine Corps veteran. Before we went to break, Andrew, you're talking about you came home from Afghanistan 
Uh, you were a part-time police officer. You, you were having some real issues uh, for the TBI, traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder. You had hearing loss on your right side of belief. And you came to a point where you said, you know, I, I'm a burden. I don't want to be a burden on anybody, so I'm going to check out. I'm going to die by suicide. And before we get into that, one of the things I got to ask you is I have a lot of a self-will. I'm a very strong-willed person. Most law enforcement people I know are. Most military people I know are as well. Did you find it even more frustrating how, or was it, I'm going to solve this using my self-will. I can, I can lift myself up by the bootstraps and get through this. You know, I, I tried to figure things out on my own, right? Like you said, we are, uh, being police officers, our whole job is to solve every problem and any problem. We could go to a call and expect to be a plumber and then an electrician and then be found, you know, in the middle of a gun battle. We have to, and we can't not have the answer. And I I said, I'll figure this out. But then I wasn't figuring it out. Right. And that, it was, that was frustrating. I said, why can't I do this? Why? You know, and I I couldn't even answer that question. That quite often leads to the, the increase of I'm worthless because I can't even do this right. Absolutely. And, and it was, you know, I, I saw my family, they, my, my youngest sister, you know, she looked at me like I was her hero, this, this strong Marine, her, this war hero who went to combat and, and did all these things. And I just, you know, at night, I just remember crying and how it was a lie. You know, I wasn't strong. I I wasn't this hero to her. I was this, I I was weak. I, I was literally wallowing in my sorrows and here I am ready to kill myself right how you know I'm so done with everything in this world you know I'm not even strong enough to continue on and that was the night before you're supposed to get your dog who's want to be in your service dog yes and you know I remember being out and I was very euphoric I was, I just knew, you know, I wasn't worried, nervous. I just knew, you know what, I'm okay. And I can't wait to go to sleep. And as fate would have it, my friends put me on my couch. And the next day when my parents got there, they woke me up and I found myself in the back of the car driving to get this dog. And if I thought I was at a low point in my life leading up to that night, I remember just sitting in the back of the car going, they have no idea I tried to kill myself the night before. And that was the lowest I'd ever been. And not an hour later, I held a Silver Lab puppy, um, Gunner, in my arms. And in that instant, he saved my life. That moment, he instantly gave me that purpose and that responsibility that I had when I was at work and I missed having from Afghanistan and I said I have to figure out my problem he didn't he didn't fix my problem but he forced me to get better that day he saved my life well part of it is all of a sudden I'm responsible for some somebody else and you know the whole thing about the service dog a lot of people don't realize is you're part of a team. It's the handler and the dog. It's the dog and the handler. They both have a job to do and both have to do it all the time. They can't, 
you can't say that like you use great terminology the dog didn't heal me but he saved your life absolutely we we immediately went into training uh, about three days a week for about six months you know it was he learned to work for me I learned to handle him and we learned to work as a team and it was therapeutic to watch him progress you know I'm, I'm a father now of three young boys and at the time that was I, I didn't know what it was like to see something like that and I know now that's what it's like to see you know a child grow and progress but to watch him learn something and, and it was that was awesome and you know the biggest thing he does for me still is he works when I sleep. He sleeps on my side and he, he's trained to react off of my scent. He wakes me up from nightmares and flashbacks. If he picks up on a scent, he'll start licking me to uh, kind of wake me up. And if he senses a flashback, he'll lay right on top of me. And just that pressure and he'll, you know, bring me back to say, hey, you're, you're in your bed. You're okay. I'm here. And, I mean, he's a, he, he allowed me to return to a normal life. And this and normal him, life. I, it, I wouldn't be here today. Right. And, and this normal life, by the way, because earlier, much earlier in the conversation, you said, I didn't want anybody to know when I came back to the real world. I didn't want people to know, because uh, I'm a cop, what I was thinking, how I was feeling. They got this traumatic brain injury, I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And, by the way, I can't hear uh, uh, one of my ears. And... All those right away you would think would be disqualifiers from having a job as an active duty law enforcement officer. They used to be. Yeah, and you know what? It's interesting. The I worked at the time when I was working for a very small town, like I said, as a part-time police officer. The, the chief there, absolutely amazing. I mean, he gets it. And he realized I was going through some issues, and one of those was the hearing issue. And... Um, when he realized the hearing issue, the next day I came into work, uh, there was a there was an earpiece on the desk. He said, hey, why don't you start wearing this? He didn't make uh, a big deal about it. He said, this is how you, you know, this is how you connect it to your radio. Put this in your ear. This is how you use it. And he did it so tactfully that it just, you know, I said, he gets it. And then fast forward another month or two. He realized some more things, and he cornered me, but in a good way. And he said, listen, I realize you're going through some things. I want to help you. I'm not here to hurt you. I want to help you, and I want to help you save your job. Let's talk. And we had a great conversation. And it's like he needs – I wish he was a chief of some of these big agencies because he – you know, some of the bigger agencies, unfortunately, have – these epidemics with suicide, yeah. I think he would be able be the one to figure it out because of how he went about everything. Just the 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 way he did it, right? I mean, I was a part time cop. I'm not protected by the union or anything like that. He should have said, "Listen, thank you for your time here. It, I appreciate all you've done. It just it's not working out. We're going to be hiring someone else, and there's nothing I could do." But he took the time and he, you know, said, hey, I want to help you. And I said, you know what? Who am I to gas him off? And and I got better. He, he kind of, you know, Gunner saved my life. And the chief is who helped me get better. 
And are you still in communication with him? Oh, absolutely. His he became uh, him and his family became a huge part of my life. Um, his kids were in our wedding. You know, we we talk. You know, him and I we don't talk every day, but it's you know I I, I talk about him all the time, especially when I I speak around the country about this thing because I try to, uh, especially when I talk with. Uh, law enforcement administrators and bosses. I said, this is the boss you need to try to be. Do me a favor. After our interview, uh, reach out to him, call him and tell him personally for me. I said, thank you, not just for his service, for doing those things, because you're absolutely right. It is something we need a lot more of. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. We are talking with Andrew Einstein, active duty law enforcement officer, and he was a Marine reservist, called up to active duty in Iraq and Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, he was injured by grenade blast, uh, causing traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, and also, by the way, let me correct that, post-traumatic stress injury and hearing loss. we got so much more to talk about. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? Head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Back to our conversation with Andrew Einstein and Law Enforcement Today Show. And by the way, folks, aren't you proud of me? I didn't make one Einstein joke. And I'm not going to. It was something I've never been accused of being. And here I am talking to an actual Einstein. Andrew is an active duty law enforcement officer in New Jersey. Uh, he's also a United States Marine Corps veteran. And thank you for your service in both. And you were called up Marine Reserves to uh, Iraq and, Af- and Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, you were injured. Grenade blast. I know I'm cutting it short, which caused traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, and also hearing loss. In your conversation, you talked about trying to handle this on your own. I don't want to let anybody see me sweat. Uh, there's no problem. I can will myself through this. I'll be okay. And you weren't. Um, when you were working, you were fine. When you were by yourself, it was a different situation. And I'll just tell you this. I've been retired a long time. On Sunday afternoons, my wife knows this. I get what I call the blues. And it's you know, I, I don't have anything to look forward to. And I start thinking and I think about the past and I think about bad stuff. And I and I have remorse from not being around my children. Then I worry I won't see my daughters. And it's a cascading series of events. But one thing you hit on is really crucial. If I don't sleep well, and man, I like I'm in bed at ten thirty every night. It took me forever to get into sleeping patterns I have now. And I don't want to get out of them. But the nightmares and flashbacks, while I don't have problems with them anymore. If I have sleep problems, it really sets off a chain of events where I don't do as well. The uh, the sleep was huge. I mean, I wasn't sleeping at all. And, and you know, maybe an hour a night if I was lucky. And that's what the, that's where the alcohol came in. Right. The, I was, I was using alcohol to uh, sleep, if you will, but to it, knock it yourself really wasn't. out. Yeah. You know, it was an alcohol induced coma, if you will. And Gunner, he allowed me to finally get sleep. That's again, without him, I would not be here today. How old were you when you began to make this transition from I'm, I'm ready to check out to, okay, you've got the dog. Now I want to start changing. Cause your life today is totally drastically different than it was back then. 
Oh, it's it's. Uh, I did a 360 degrees from where I was. I was I was 23 years old uh, at the time, and you know I what I realized, especially with that chief, I, I realized that you know what, it's okay to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not okay. I have issues. I need help. And as I started getting better, I I realized really the root causes of some of the things and I started getting better. I started actually accepting the the things I could not change and I started changing the things I could for the better. And slowly but surely I got better. And look, I mean my ten years down the line, my life isn't perfect. I still have days where I get sad or, or whatnot. We all have um, we still have trauma that we deal with um, in our lives. I, I work in a city where I see some pretty bad things, but I know now how to handle those things. And if it weren't for the last 10 years of my life, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do what I do today. And I, I'm absolutely grateful for everything that happened, even the, the, the suicide attempt. I'm, I'm grateful for it because it's made me who I am today, and it allows me to go around and talk and teach and preach that, hey, raise your hand. Check your ego at the door. Don't be afraid to say, I need help. I'm not okay. That's awfully hard to do, to be honest with you. Letting someone help me is one of the hardest. And this comes from the cop of me. I'm there to help other people. Having someone help me is not part of the equation. Someone explained to me this way, Andrew, is – and I'm use Tom Brady as an example, very, very proficient in his craft. He's a very high-level athlete, but he doesn't do any of this alone. He has position coaches. He has nutritionists. He has doctors, physical therapists, uh, sports psychologists, head coach, offensive line, other teammates that he relies on to be better at what he does. If he can do that, why can't I? Or why is it so difficult for guys like me? You know, it, when I when – I speak i and again i'm not i'm not a doctor i I always joke i said i'm a cop because i got c's in high school but i i've had some insight over the last decade and i i talk about you know having to find purpose after adversity or trauma and i say look when you're backed into the corner everybody has something in their life that when they do that one thing whether it's reading a book going for a run or playing basketball with their friends for the first Tuesday on every month in that hour when they're on the court that they forget about all of life's problems. And when I talk about it, I say, so in that hour, no matter how bad life is, you're on the court, you're with your friends, and all you care about is playing the game. And after that hour, even when you step off the court and life smacks you back in the face, you know that the next first Tuesday of the next month, you'll be back on the court. So no matter how bad life gets within that next month, you have to survive until that next Tuesday. Yeah, and, and there's really something really wonderful for guys like you and me to be part of a team, whether it be a military, military team or a police team. And when I retired suddenly and I got hurt and retired, I was no longer part of a team, and I really floundered for a long time. I didn't know my place. I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know what to do. It's uh, – I've – seen that a lot, especially in the military, law enforcement, first responders, right? We are a team, a family. We don't act alone. And a lot of people in that community, when they find themselves out of that, 
they, they don't know who they are or what to do with themselves. And that's that purpose again. What do we do with our lives after our life? We have two lives, right? Our career and then our life after our career. And what do we do with that? And too often we go, the woe is me, and we live in the past. But we, we can't dwell on it. We have to remember that our life doesn't end when our career is over. We have to continue on. And, you know, we, uh, my buddy that I, I kind of taught me how to public speak, uh, he calls it the Uncle, Uncle Rico syndrome. You know, you dwell on that, that the words and the has-beens, the I was. You know what? Yeah, be proud of what you did, but also be proud of who you are today and where you're going. And don't exactly. be afraid to continue life in this new life. And your new life, you've got kids now. You said earlier you had three, three, three sons? Three boys, uh, about to be five, two, and uh, one. So you obviously are doing much, much better. And I happen to know a little bit about Andrew's story, but a big part of your story and your mission now is, A, you're still a police officer. You're still a public servant that way, but you also have a mission to help others, law enforcement officers, other first responders. What are some of the things you're doing? One of the things, I volunteer with a nonprofit called Operation Enduring Warrior, and their mission is to honor, empower, and motivate our nation's wounded and injured veterans, wounded and injured police officers, and now wounded and injured firefighters uh, through various methods. We do obstacle course races, uh, skydiving, uh, archery, and it's essentially saying, listen, we know something bad happened to you. Come with us. We'll show you how to live you can do your life. You can still live your life. And, and that's been, again, making you part of that team again. So we've done that. I've done that a couple, for a couple of years. Um, I go around the country and I public speak to various groups. I teach at any police department or law enforcement group that will host me about dealing with uh, officers in distress. Um, but I also uh, recently started a podcast that hosts uh, guests that have gone through traumatic events and they're, you know, they've learned to live their lives after those traumatic events. And what's the name of your podcast? It's uh, the 1023 podcast. It's the number 10 dash the word 23, T W O T H R E E podcast. Police codes, believe it or not, are different from state to state and city to city. 1023, when I was policing in Baltimore, I was on scene. What's 1023 mean where you're at? Correct. It's, uh, it's our, uh, our 10 code for on scene. So I, I like to analyze things. And when we were coming up with a name, uh, I took the 1023 code. I said, you know what? On scene to me is I'm here and I'm not leaving until we figure it out. Very I'm here appropriate. To help and I won't leave until I can help you. My producer got it and he said, you know what? If you had completed your suicide that day, you would have been the 23rd veteran to commit suicide and i said that solidifies the name 1023 that's it just do a google search for 1023 podcast it'd be easy to find that way andrew thanks so much for being a guest on the show thanks for your service all very much appreciated thank you it was an honor to be on today thank you so much want to win great prizes in awesome contests who wouldn't want that it's easy just sign up and subscribe for the law enforcement today radio show email newsletter we won't spam you no more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. 
Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.